it's been a week for some of us. Um, we all deal with a multitude of things in our lives, I know. Um, sometimes they're good and beautiful, and sometimes they're not so beautiful. Um, might be challenging or just heavy is maybe a good way to say it. I want to remind us that as we gather together, we do so as both an act of resistance and an act of celebration, and so I hope that you feel that today. But no matter how we come to this time today, no matter what has happened in our weeks, uh, my hope is that we each hear one thing today, and that is that who we are as human beings matters to God. This, of course, can fly in the face of much of what we've been taught, um, likely taught um, growing up, that our humanness is somehow a stumbling block to the divine. Today, we continue in our journey queering identity as followers of Jesus or as people who can rest and receive what God has for us. And then out of that, pay attention to the fluidity of our identities and celebrate our belonging as we live out our faith. This morning, I want to encourage you to connect with God in this space by paying attention to your body, to your very being. I want you to pay attention to what it feels like to sit in the seat that you're in. I want you to pay attention to what it feels like to be in your body, to maybe breathe slightly deeper in the company of one another. If you would like, you are welcome to take off your shoes, curl up on your couch, or just feel the floor beneath you. Whatever it is that's going to help you, pay attention to your body and to connect with God in that way. I want you to allow your very being here to rest and receive what God has for you. In her book, This Here Flesh, which some of us are, are reading, Cole Arthur Riley states this, our dignity may involve our doing, but it is foremost in our very being. Our tears and emotions, our bodies lying in the grass, our scabs healing. I believe that today's text, the story of Lazarus being brought back to life, draws our attention to our very being. Now, I was talking to John about this on the way here in the car. Like, it's really hard when we jump forward in the text quite a bit because there's a lot that happens from one passage to the next that I feel like you need to be caught up on to really see what's happening in our text for today. So because we're going to jump ahead quite a few chapters from where we were last week with the woman who got brought forward to be stoned, um, I'm going to share a, a not-so-brief survey of what comes uh, between that text and our text today, which is in chapter 11. So we're going to make it there eventually. So after the woman is brought to be stoned, the questioning of Jesus' authority by the religious leaders continues. And it presents a ton of conflict about who the Father is and who they are honoring. Jesus shares that the, the leaders themselves and the people will be set free if they follow him. But the leaders in particular don't believe that they are slaves to anyone, if you will. They don't need to be set free from anything. Jesus says they have been slaves to their bad hearts. 
And then he shares that when he's gone, the people will just keep wandering in the darkness, looking for the chosen one, but their bad hearts will lead them down the path to a bad end. The conflict then with the religious authorities just continues to increase. And it does so because there are so many people who begin to believe in and trust Jesus. With this rising conflict, the religious leaders actually call Jesus mixed blood. And with this, they're referring to uh, what, the same way that they would to someone in Samaria. But I want to remind us that Jesus spent time creating a spiritual family in Samaria after um, the woman meeting the woman at the well. So Jesus has done this work of building a spiritual family, and now he's being called mixed blood as well. They even go so far as to claim that he is the one with an evil spirit. And at this point, I just think, really, they, just, they all just be mad. They're just grumpy. They're just mad. And eventually, they try to stone him, just like they did the woman in our previous text. And again, I think, what is with these people and their stones? They're everywhere. Again, a heavy burden to carry, physically heavy and spiritually heavy. Then we get to chapter 9, and Jesus continues healing. He's restoring the man born blind to community. And I want to note that in this story, we hear about him making mud and using the mud, and it does sound a lot like what happened with him drawing in the dirt with his finger with the woman who was brought to be stoned. The man being restored to community shares the good news with the religious leaders But restoring people to community on the Sabbath stirs up even more conflict with these authorities who then ban the man from coming to the gathering house, to the temple itself. So when Jesus finds out about this, he goes to see about him. And he asks the man to trust him as the true human being. At which point I think Jesus all along has been teaching us what it means to be a true human human being. Then we get to chapter 10, and Jesus speaks about false shepherds and about how he is the good shepherd. And then finally, we see him arrive in Jerusalem for the Feast of Dedication, which is a feast to remember the time in which the Great Spirit's Lodge, or the temple, was cleansed after it had been made ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean by an evil ruler, which I find a little bit ironic here. So Jesus is confronted there by the religious leaders, who wonder why he isn't revealing himself to them as the chosen one. And he responds that they have not been his sheep. But the leaders reject him anyway, and again, of course, what do they do? They pull those stones out, they try to stone him. And so Jesus retreats. Okay, this is all helpful context. Jesus has retreated at this point away from Jerusalem. He has gone to the Jordan where John the Baptist first performed baptisms. And Jesus and his followers were there for quite some time. And the people began to flock uh, to see him, to hear his teachings and his stories as he healed the sick and he forced out evil spirits. All of this is happening as part of his own retreat away from the authorities trying to stone him. And the text says, many people believed. While he is there, he learns that his friend Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha, who are the sisters of Lazarus, uh, had sent word to Jesus. And rather than going straight to see about his friend, he stays where he is for two more days 
before returning back to Judea. And we might ask why he waited. There, it could be for a multitude of reasons. We don't really know. Maybe it was because he had work he had yet to do there, unfinished, if you will. Maybe he needed to prepare both physically, mentally, and maybe spiritually for the potential encounter with those folks who might just try to stone him upon his return. I don't know. Even his disciples warn him of the danger, to which Jesus again shares that he is the light of the world. This isn't the first time he has shared this. And he says, I'm going to go see about Lazarus. I'm actually going to wake Lazarus. He's quite determined. And then we arrive at our text for today. You're welcome to follow along if you would like. It is John chapter 11. It is lengthy. It is verses 17. I'm actually going to read through 46 um, because it will make a little bit more sense if I do that. I am reading from the First Nations version um, as we have been doing throughout this series. If you would like to grab one, you're welcome to. They're over at the side. When Creator sets free, who is Jesus, came to the house of figs, in Bethany, he found out that Creator helps him, Lazarus, had died four days earlier and was laid in a burial cave. House of Figs was close, a close walk from Village of Peace, from Jerusalem. Many of the local tribe members had gathered along with the women to give comfort to headwoman, who is Martha, and healing tears, who is Mary, for the loss of their brother. When headwoman, Martha, heard that Creator Sets Free was coming, she went out to greet him, but healing tears, who was Mary, stayed home. When she found Creator Sets Free, she said to him, Wisdom keeper, if you had been there, my brother would still be with us. Even so, I know if you ask anything of the Great Spirit, he will give it to you. Your brother will live again, he answered. I know he will live again, she said, when the dead rise up at the end of all days. I am the rising from the dead and the life that follows, he told her. At this point, I just want to remind us, Jesus has done some pretty remarkable things in, in declaring who he is. He has said that he is water, that he is bread, that he is light, and now he's the life and the resurrection. This, this feels a bit extreme at this point, I would think, to those who are listening. I am the rising from the dead and the life that follows, he told her. The ones who trust in me will live again, even after death. Death will never be the end of the ones who are alive and trust in me. Do you believe what I am saying to you? Yes, wisdom keeper. She smiled and said, I believe you are the chosen one, the son of the great spirit, the one who came down into this world from above. After she said this, she left him and went in private to her sister, healing tears, who is Mary, and said to her, the wisdom keeper is nearby and wants you to come to him. Creator sets free, was still waiting outside the village where head woman, who is Martha, had met him. When healing tears heard this, she got up right away and went to see him. The tribal members who were comforting healing tears saw her get up and leave quickly, so they went with her, thinking she was going to the burial cave to weep. When healing tears, who is Mary, found Creator sets free, she crumpled at his feet and wept. Wisdom keeper, she said as tears ran down her face, if only you had been there, my brother would still be alive. 
Creator sets free, stood there watching healing tears, weeping at his feet. He looked around and saw all the tribal members who came with her also weeping. A deep anguish began to well up inside him and he was troubled in his spirit. He cried out, where did they bury him? Wisdom keeper, come with us, they said to him. We will show you. Creator sets free, wept. When the tribal members saw his tears, some said, see how deeply he cared for him. But others said, if this man could open the eyes of a blind man, why could he not have kept this man from dying? Creator sets free, still deep in anguish, found his way to the family burial place. It was a cave, and a large stone blocked the entrance. Creator sets free, cried out, Take away the stone. Head woman, who is Martha, whispered to him, Wisdom keeper, he has been dead four days. There will be a terrible smell. He looked at her and said, Do you not remember what I told you? If you believed, you would see the shining greatness of the Great Spirit. Head woman could say nothing. She watched as they rolled the stone away from the burial cave. Creator sets free, turned his eyes upward toward the sky and said, I thank you, Father, that you have already heard my prayers and always listened to me. The reason I say this out loud is so that all who are standing around me can hear and believe that you sent me. The men and women gathered there stood silently listening to his prayer. Then the voice of Creator sets free, pierced the silence as he cried out with a loud voice, Creator helps him, Lazarus, come out of there. The sound of his voice echoed from out of the burial cave and then faded into the distance. The people looked at Creator sets free and then back at the cave. No one dared say anything, so they all waited. Then suddenly, gasps, could be heard from the crowd. There was movement in the cave. Creator helps him, whose Lazarus came stumbling out of the burial cave with his ceremonial wrapping, still clinging to his head, hands, and feet. He was alive. Creator sets free, told the people, take off his wrappings and set him free. Head woman, who is Martha in healing tears, who is Mary, wept for joy as they tore the ceremonial wrappings from their brother. They could not stop hugging and kissing him. All the people were full of joy and began to celebrate. When many of the local tribal members saw that what Creator sets free had done, they put their trust in him. But some of them went to find the separated ones, the Pharisees, to tell them what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. This is the end of our text for today, but it is clearly not the end of this story. All that transpires here actually sets into motion the council's plan to have Jesus killed. And so after leaving his friends, Jesus actually goes near the desert wilderness to Ephraim, where he and his close friends and followers stay for a time. And during Passover, the council was on high alert and looked for Jesus so they could arrest him. It is from this point forward in the book of John that we see a transition, not only from public to more private ministry, but to the processing, if you will, of trauma, the processing of pain, 
hurt, and suffering, we might call this composting, allowing all that has been faced or thrown at us to be integrated or broken down in such a way that it becomes fertile, able to receive and support growth and new life. And that's where we're headed starting next week in our journey during Lent as we pick up in chapter 13. But I want to share today just a few observations in closing about this text as we make this transition this week. I want to point out in verse 28 that Martha went in private to her sister and invited her to come along. Remember, Mary has been in the company of these folks who answer to the religious authorities. These are the same people who would be out to stone Jesus. And while she leaves and gets up quite quickly, they do notice and they follow her. And when Mary sees Jesus, he crumple, she crumples at his feet and wept. At this point, I wonder why this is the first mention of her weeping. Maybe she had all the feelings bottled up while being comforted, if you will, by her own people. But now in the presence of Jesus, she has encountered the divine, and so the floodgates open, if you will. Wisdom keeper, she said, as tears ran down her face, if only you had been there, my brother would still be alive. And yet now, alongside her sister, she too believes that Jesus is the chosen one. And in the midst of this very intimate moment, it is with two women and Jesus the tribal members arrive and they too are weeping. Again, this is so interesting to me. Why is this the first mentioning of them weeping as well? Maybe now they too have encountered the divine in the presence of Jesus. Or maybe all they needed was to walk, to move along the ground, to make the journey themselves through creation in order to see the divine among them. And simultaneously, a deep anguish began to well up inside of Jesus. He was troubled in his spirit, and he cried out, Where did they bury him? And to their response of, We will show you, Creator sets free, wept. Jesus wept. You know what happens when we weep, right? Get all that nose and head congestion. It's all nasty. It builds up. The tears start pouring down your face, knots trailing down behind that. And you can't speak very well, or if you do, it's not really decipherable. Jesus has been moved. The Greek word here in our text for anguish, anguish is embromeomai. It is a sense of anger as Jesus is moved with indignation in spirit. And this anguish wells up inside of him and his body groans or murmurs against. Some of us are well acquainted with this sort of response. But over what does he have this deep anguish? Maybe it is their lack of belief or trust in his true self, who he has been revealing himself to be this entire time. At the very, very least, they have forgotten what he has said, and maybe that's enough to cause the anguish to well up inside of him leading then to tears. I want to say two things about tears. First of all, I believe they indicate the gr that grief is not solely a private matter, and the true human being who is Jesus teaches us that. 
as he joins in the weeping. Second, one of my favorite seminary professors, the late John Weborg, once quoted John Climacus, who said that tears are a form of a second baptism. Your first baptism had to take care of original sin, but tears have to take care of the rest of your life. While we might not fully align theologically with the choice of words here, the idea does speak to what also spiritual director and writer Susan Phillips reminds us, that tears are a way the body expresses openness to God. In Orthodox spirituality, this is known as penthos, and it means that the tears can signify pain of the spirit that is due to the existence of sin and therefore result in our desire for God. So we might say that Jesus' spirit was pain because the state of the world missed the mark of what God intended, and he desired God in that very moment. His tears are taking care of him. Notice that while he is in anguish, he makes his way to the family burial site. I could just see Jesus using his clothing to wipe his face, one sleeve, and then the next sleeve, and then eventually his cloak, he's just pulling it up, you know, whatever. Or maybe he let every bit of snot and tears form a trail to that burial site. You see, they have not extended to him the dignity of believing who he says he is, which is the I Am. He is the shining greatness of the Great Spirit. And in this moment, his own tears, his own presence, draws attention to his very being. The burial cave stone is rolled away, and Jesus turns to the sky and speaks to God. He prays in a way so that those present can hear and believe that God the Father sent him. This is what he says. And while that might be the only reason for him doing this, or so it might seem, I can't help but wonder if he does it for his own self as well. I don't know about you, but when I look up at the sky, I am reminded of the vastness of what is possible and just how small I really am. Birds in flight above me can remind me of the freedom that God desires. And looking up at the sky, I am reminded of both my humanity and my dignity. And I am reminded of who I am. And that freedom awaits. So maybe Jesus also looked up to the sky to speak to God, to be reassured of who he is. Looking up at the sky, possibly with a little bit of exhaustion, but also in a way that once again opens his heart and connects him fully to God. Susan Phillips, that spiritual director and writer, continues to share that the opening of our hearts can release tears a way in which our bodies release toxins and heal themselves. With his whole being present, scabs and all, Jesus' body releases toxins and he begins to experience healing as well. And alongside his own healing, Jesus calls forth through the tears for Lazarus to be healed 
for Lazarus to be restored to life. And Lazarus comes out stumbling. His wrappings are taken off and he is set free. I wonder what Lazarus experienced in that moment as his dignity, his very being, is restored. Walking barefoot on the grass, his own scabs now being unwrapped, uncovered. I picture Lazarus, too, responding to his bodily experience of being fully alive and in the presence of Jesus joining all who were full of joy and celebration. Yes, our dignity may involve our doing, but it is foremost in our very being, in our tears and emotions, our bodies lying in the grass, our scabs healing. This week, as we face a multitude of things, I want to encourage us to pay attention to our tears, to our emotions, to our bodies, connecting with the land and connecting with God. Pay attention to whatever scabs you might have that are healing. Allow God to come and see about you. And may you hear that your very being matters to God. Then and only then can we discover and embody the deep love of Jesus in the world. Amen. God, in these days ahead, would you help us to be attentive to you? Would we open our hearts in a way that allows you the space to come and see about us? To meet us wherever we are? To be reminded that our very being matters to you and to rest and receive in your presence? May it be so. Amen. The Lord's Table Liturgy, you're welcome to join in the bolded parts. As a reminder, our um, elements are gluten-free, not allergen-free. If you would like prayer, um, please feel free to come and chat with me after I blow my nose would be great. Um, if there's anything you'd like us to know um, but you don't want to or don't have time to talk about, you can fill out a connection card and throw it in the offering basket over there. All right. Gracious Lord, pour out your spirit upon the gifts of this table and upon the gathered people who seek to faithfully follow you. The bread symbolizes that life, though given, can reshape brokenness into the peace which a warring world needs, the hope which can bring healing to others. The cup, which is filled with grace, can strengthen us to be new people. 
go forth to speak truth to power who bring freedom to all the oppressed. Come to the table of the Lord. It is open to all who seek to follow Jesus.